0: and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the
1: gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. If you've been in the hobby for more than a day, then you know how fast the sports card market moves. There are no more options than ever to buy, sell, and research your cards. One of the most frustrating hurdles in the hobby is the fees when selling your cards. You know, those other popular marketplaces, the ones with their average seller transaction fee of 10%, the ones that don't have the seller's interest in mind. Wait, what? Who would do that? Well, hold on to your horses. No not those horses. Welcome to The Card Flip, a place where we want to provide a simple alternative to buying and selling cards. No clutter, just you, graded cards, sealed wax, and the easiest of transactions. So what do you say? Are you in? Great! Welcome to the card flip, the seller's marketplace.
0: Yo and hello everybody. Mike Moynihan here, and this is another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast. I'm your host today and every week, but I just wanted to come on today and do an episode about what's going on in this sports card market and taking it from a vintage perspective. I think that's really important because we see a lot of stuff about modern, ultra modern, etc., and pop reports, and we hear all this crap, but what's really going on in the vintage market? And let me tell you, I did some kind of just personal research, personal homework, and the results were both surprising and not surprising. <laughs> and I'm gonna get into that, but again, I don't like to do things by myself. So uh, I'll wait, let me bring on my guest in just a second. Let me mention a couple things. Hey, National's around the corner and I'm gonna be having some special episodes uh, as we gear up for the National, talking about vintage and the National and all of that, have some guests on to discuss that and Hobby Palooza is coming up. Last year was so awesome. It was so great, and we are going to be doing that again in July. In fact, July 10th and 11th to be exact. A Saturday and a Sunday. We may even have some preview stuff on the 9th. Time will tell. The lineup is coming together great. I'm really excited about who all is going to be there. In fact, my guest tonight is going to be one of the channels hosting an hour of Hobby Palooza. Without further ado, let me bring him on right now. And
1: it's George
0: from Diamond Yard Sports Cards. George, how you doing, buddy?
1: Hey, good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. This should be a lot of fun talking about vintage and all the changes, the roller coaster, and uh, looking forward to Hobby Palooz as well. Thank you, um, and Bench Clear for putting that together again. Uh, it should be a great time as well. It will be. You were my guest last year on Hobby mm-hmm. Palooza, and now you got your own. You must have done so <laughs> well that they uh, they've offered you an hour of airtime for yourself how cool is that uh, yeah i really had to lobby i was lobbying i was lobbying and, and finally they, they broke through so i really appreciate that if only you knew somebody at bench clear that could have paved the way for you that's true said. you're right so now we're looking about topics talking to a couple guys today and uh <laughs> nice <laughs> I well, got, I'm, uh, I'm... anyway I'll, I'll talk about that later but this is gonna be exciting talking about uh how things have gone up and down and why they have and you know, what to look for and what you look for. And I'm excited to talk about the cards that that you were referring to in your own personal collection. Yeah. So maybe let me
0: set this up a little bit and how I got here to do this episode is I was looking at eBay as I often do. And I was looking for cards actually that I was looking to buy and, and surprised at some of the prices. And then I would go and look at that price of what that card was going for, pick your card. And I'd look at BCP and, and then I'd look at pre, you know, past eBay sales and all sorts of stuff. And I'm going, wow, these cards are much lower <laughs> than they were not too long ago. And so then I started doing some homework and some real research on cards that I own. And what their kind of peak price was and what their current price is. And the results were pretty striking to me. Not that either one of us is surprised. We're gonna talk about that in just a second, but no, everybody knows that's listening to this, knows that the the hobby has been booming. The card market has been flourishing over the last 16 months, 18 months. Where do you think we are, George? Like what are your just initial thoughts about the vintage market and what's going on?
1: I think it really depends on what you're trying to buy. Um, I think it really depends on what. Um, I mean, in general, I can say, yeah, things hit a peak there in February. Um, I would say that it's not time to panic or anything like that. I think that people like you and I who've been in the hobby for, for a long time, um, and even in graded cards, I mean, I've been doing graded cards since about 05. And I, I, I wouldn't say there's no, there's no panic, it's just a matter of like some things are going down. Um other things are going up. And uh, at least in some of the stuff that I'm watching. So I know, you know, but but in, as a general rule right now, yeah, it would be, you know, if, if you got in in February and you had a lot of money in February and you just dumped it all into sports cards, um you you'd be hurting right now. Um you know, uh, but I think it's it's cyclical and uh frankly from my perspective watching the hobby over the years, it always peaks in February. It always peaks in February. Uh, I don't have data or, or things to um, to show. like, But in my experience, um, the best deals are to be had in October, November, and December. And then when people start, it starts percolating with the hobby. With every, I'm not talking about just the boom here. I'm talking about going back um, you know, to 2015, 2010, 2005. Things seem to go up when people get excited about spring training. Um, There's tax return money out there. uh, And then people spend more money and the cards kind of take a step up and and they might stay there or they might not. But now what we've seen though, is like, you know, we've just all discussed this hyperbolic growth uh, that we know is frankly not not sustainable. Even if you're buying Babe Ruth's, it's not sustainable in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, every market of every type of asset, commodity, whatever you wanna call it has cyclical periods stock market does housing, cryptocurrency, look what crypto's done over the last, you know, couple of months. So we always this always happens. Things can't go up forever. They just don't. And none of us knew kind of when that tide would turn. The reality of it is, and, and my opinion is that I'm going to take tonight and 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 prove it a little bit is I think it's we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of that tide turning the hard thing about when the tides turn is you don't know when it's done. You don't know how far things will go down on a stock or the the market itself or housing, you name it. Where's the bottom? Because if you're collectors like us, all I think about, I want to be a bottom feeder. I want to be, you know, the, the Warren Buffett style of card collecting where you, you buy when there's blood on the streets, you know, that's the kind of collector I want to be because, I'm playing the long game. I don't care. I, I would buy every card for a dollar. I've said this multiple times on podcasts and videos. I don't care. Uh, I, again, I want them to have some value. I don't want them to be worthless, but at the same time, I don't do it for the money. And I know you have a similar mindset in terms of how you collect. Um, where do you think we are in that cycle?
1: Well, in the... In the... I think it fluctuates. Um, And and I mean, I I know things are going down a little bit because, again, they were so they were so high to begin with. And if you've been in the hobby at all and you've watched, let's say, for example, Hall of Famers, whether it's Mantle or Mays or Aaron or Robinson. And you're saying to yourself, wow, a PSA 2 of a 1953 Jackie Robinson is suddenly going for like twelve hundred dollars. You know, the card could be had for two hundred and fifty dollars. Only maybe a year and a half ago. So, and I mean, I understand that in, mo- in the modern market, there's just crazy, you know, um, growth. Um, but I, I still think that you know, it's not a time to stop buying the cards that are the best cards in their grade. Um, and I think that a lot of the values, you know, it's it's not apples to apples when you're when you're talking about vintage cards. And I know you know this, Mike, and the audience knows this too. It's 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 not apples to apples. Um, if Not every 1960 Hank Aaron in a PSA 5 is the same. And the higher you go up in the grade scale, the more consistency we hope there is. But, um, you know, one card might sell for, for $200, one might sell for $400. It's incredibly different. And I think if we don't have that kind of context to it, we can say, boy, this is taking a precipitous drop. But it depends on the card and how nice that vintage card is, regardless of the grade.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree.
1: Um,
0: God, I had a question. I need to write these things down. I'd be a That's, much better host.
1: <laughs> I got some notes here, but it's it's kind of funny too. You know, I was looking at like what's the, we call it the hobby, right? What's the definition of a hobby? And so, just an activity done in one's leisure time for pleasure. Um, and it's you know it started off like that for a lot of us, especially the vintage collectors and l- the older you know, we were busting wax and stuff like that at a young age, Um, you know, and it's kind of like you try to balance, like you had said, you try to balance. um, Now you're older, you're buying things that are maybe more expensive card wise than you ever were. You know, I might have thought twice six years ago about buying a card for 400 bucks. And now I'm like, well, I think it's a good it's it's, I'm not going to find another one or I'll I'll buy it, whatever. So um, I think that there's there's a balance there between, you know, there's a hobby. And there's also the fact that, I think it's almost, it's a fiction to say, well, I don't care if it all goes away and it's worth nothing. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, you spent your time on it. you spent your money on it. Um, not that I'm looking to have my cards be worth, you know, I'm not going to retire on this stuff, but um, it's nice to see there's an increase. And so when there's a blip and things start going down like they are now, you know, it's, I think it's good to put some perspective on it, that this is a cycle, like you'd said.
0: Yeah. And again, everything goes through those cycles. I always say the person the only person that gets hurt on a roller coaster is one who jumps off (laughs) right and yeah you know when you're in this cycle in this period it's important to maintain perspective like you just brought to it defining what a hobby is and i truly believe this is a hobby it is it's great that there's money in it i think that's just an added bonus to the hobby part Mm -hmm. of it i think it's simply a a byproduct ancillary benefit of being in the hobby that we're in that, oh, by the way, if you needed to sell them, you could get real money for pictures of dudes from a hundred years ago. You know, uh, that's a pretty cool thing. And I've always said it cards to me are not investments. They have no intrinsic value in and of themselves. They're only worth what someone is willing to pay for them. And right now we're seeing people willing to spend less money. Do you think in the vintage market, what would you say would be kind of some major contributing factors to the hyperbolic rise, especially in the vintage world? Cause I believe that vintage has long been overlooked, maybe underappreciated, undervalued, any of those superlatives that you want to use would apply, I think. And now I think it was finally getting its due, right? Okay. Vintage is, Uh, you know, a Mickey Mantle should be worth more than a Ronald Acuna or, you know, name your old player, name your new player. Um, And I think that was finally starting to happen, but what would, and I keep answering, I keep asking you a question and then talking. That's not very nice of me. (laughs) It's supposed to be a discussion show, not an interview, but anyway uh, the uh, question I want to ask you and have you weigh in on is what were the were the causes? Do you think the same as what caused all sports cars to rise, or is it something specific about vintage that finally made it get? Because it came in late into the game, right? I think mm-hmm. in the sports card game, contributing factors. What do
1: you think? Well, I mean, for example, what it is not is not the modern ultra modern market. It is not. There aren't a whole lot of flippers in in the in the market of. Uh, vintage and vintage. And so, you know, you don't, you don't see people. I mean, if if you're trying to flip vintage, you're in for a rude awakening. Uh, Now, recently you might've been able to do it with some success, but you know, like you were saying, it's, it's a long game. Um, So the contributing factors, obviously um, COVID and people reflecting on the past now vintage, the desire or the, the, I'm sorry, the um, the attraction of vintage is going to be uh, the nostalgia. It's That's the attraction of vintage. And then the history, uh, if you're into history. I mean, I'm sure most almost everybody who collects vintage is either a lover of art, a lover of history, or very nostalgic, or all three. And those three factors, um, you know, nostalgia is a – you don't hear a bad thing about nostalgia. The, the connotation of nostalgia is is a positive thing.
0: Warm and fuzzy, um, right? Yeah, and, and it's
1: an affection. It's um you know, it's 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 you have a happy personal association with nostalgia, and so that grew during COVID. I'm just talking psycholo- my opinion psychologically about what went on, is that that grew during COVID, and um, people started to reflect more on on their lives, what was important, who they shared time with, and if you were a card collector, um, you know you really enjoyed that looking back at those times, and if you were a card collector and got out of the hobby, you maybe got back in. Um, And I think a lot of people have got back into the hobby after reflecting on these things. So I think that's one element of it. I mean, obviously you can say, oh, COVID, but I mean, like what did COVID make people do? It made people reflect on things, reflect on the meaning of their lives and the meaning of their hobbies and the meaning of the way they spend their time. And so that I think brought the card market back in a lot of ways, especially the vintage card market, because people were reflecting on time they spent with their dad, their grandfather, uh, their friends when they grew up. Um, the second thing, obviously, is the financial um, stimulus. Um, you know, some people got financial stimulus, some people didn't. And that stimulus, uh, that money, you know, you're you're in the financial world, Mike. You know there's more of it out there. And so it's easier for people to spend money. And that correlates with the February spike. People got another stimulus check in February, and it was a big one. Um, and so then at that point, uh, that combined with tax returns, Uh, is double money at the same time of year that cards typically go up. Um, And so then that, you know, is is part of it as well. And then the the third thing obviously is people were uh, investing and still are in these fractional ownership groups. Uh, I can't buy, you know, a 19, like, okay, me personally, I can't buy, I have a 1933 Gaudi Babe Ruth and it's in a PSA one because I couldn't afford to buy a five. I couldn't, you know, so I just kept looking at the lower end of the grading scale and so, and I bought the card three, four years ago, but I mean, you know, now you can buy that fractional ownership as you know, and a lot of the guests on your, you know, you know that, and and that's a, a big player in it too. Not only do you have the extra money coming from, you know, Joe and, you know, Georgia and Mike, but the extra money coming from these fractional ownership groups that have tens, millions, millions of dollars, and they're buying these cards up. So I think those three components um, have a lot to do with that. You know, you
0: spoke about the nostalgia and. I've had people ask me this question and I don't know that I have a great answer for it, but it's an interesting question to pose and to to ponder. And that is the nostalgia part. For example, I love buying Mickey Mantle cards. I never watched Mickey Mantle play, never saw him. I never heard stories from my father or grandfather about Mickey Mantle. Why? And this is maybe rhetorical, why do I have such a love for those? Or And you could pick any of them, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Sandy, all these guys that I never saw play. Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig is my favorite player of all time. Never seen them play. Well, and yet, I think
1: anybody who knows know, me knows I'll try to answer any question.
0: Please answer it or try to help me understand <clears throat> what's wrong with my brain where I have this affinity and true passion and love for these
1: cards of guys I've never seen play. My sons have never seen the Beatles, and I never saw the Beatles. My mom listened to them, and they were playing in our house all the time. And this could apply to the Beatles. This could apply to Hank Williams, Jr., Hank Williams, Sr., whatever. Um, But they just kind of seep into your consciousness, and you hear about these people, and they're just people you are around, talk about them, listen to their records. Uh, baseball, you're around baseball, right? Your whole life. You, your dad's involved in, in the, as a cameraman, I, I believe. Yep. And it just kind of seeps into who you are and who you, what your DNA is. And then you start taking an interest in it. But I'm, I understand it too. I never saw these guys. I never saw Jackie Robinson. Um, you know, feel fortunate. I saw Tony Gwynn, Rod Carew, Nolan Ryan. Um, but for some reason, uh, the, the guys who you didn't see him play seem more mystical more mythical. it's maybe myth- mythical mythical mystical romanticized um and it's a lot like you know um you know like people talk about when you want ken burn ken burns baseball about new york in the 50s sure and the three great out the three great outfielders three great teams and it just creates this magic and you hear these older people talk about it whether it's billy Crystal or ever and then you listen to you listen to Buck O'Neill and the Ken Burn talk. Buck O'Neill at any time, but sure. Buck O'Neill talk about the Negro Leagues or talk about Josh Gibson or when he, you know, it's just this. It creates this romanticism in your brain that's already there because you've already been influenced by all these base these baseball surroundings you've had. So I mean, I guess that would be my answer. Is just like it's part you, and it's just part of the people you are around, and what influences just trickled down and got into your feelings, soul, heart, mind. Sure. You know? Uh, by the way, Buck O'Neill,
0: probably the most, the person I would say deserves to be in the hall of fame. The most that is currently not is Buck O'Neill, by the way, uh, I agree
1: with you 150%. Um,
0: he totally, for what he contributed to the game, it, unbelievable. And um, when you go to the
1: hall of fame, who's the first statue you see? Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill. Right. I mean, you know, they they acknowledge it, yeah. um, you know, they need to further acknowledge it.
0: They do. It. Even if just a contributor or whatever, uh, forget that he was a great ball player, manager, ambassador for the game for both Negro Leagues and white baseball, like both, right? He didn't, he was just an ambassador. He just loved baseball, period. <clears throat> no matter who was playing it, what color of their skin was, it didn't matter he just appreciated and respected the game and the people doing it. It's amazing guy. So
1: I couldn't agree more. Uh, You could probably, by the way, and I know you probably have seen this, but one of my favorite uh, Negro league documentaries is called only the ball was white. And you can look it up on YouTube. Um, The gentleman who posted only has like, you know, 500 subscribers, but it's has all these interviews from the, it's probably made in the early '80s, late late '70s, and it has all these interviews with all the guys that have long since gone uh, that you've heard about. You know,
0: yeah, I've seen it. It is fantastic,
1: and it's not long. It's probably forty five minutes. Yeah. Anyway. So let,
0: back to the topic du jour. I apologize for getting us off on the Buck O'Neill tangent, but I, I think you're right a lot about that psychology about the reading books about the game when I was young and the history and these like you said, mythical figures of Clemente. And, you know, you just create something in me. It stirred up something in me that has been maintained to my
1: 47th year on this planet. And I don't know that it'll go away. I don't want it to go away. I love it. And to that, um, you know, along with, you know, what why people got back into it, this, is, I guess is going piggybacking is people got back into vintage because they, they were into it when they were younger or vintage or like, you know, just sports cards in general. Um, I, I talked to a young guy and he's probably, you know, in his like mid thirties, early thirties. And he was trying to buy some Hank Aaron cards off me. Cause I listed some nice Hanks after uh, he had passed. And these were like duplicates. Um, and I just, at a certain point I realized, no, I don't want to sell these, but he contacted me about one of them and wanted to buy it off of eBay. And we started talking and he was a mortgage guy in California. And he was telling me, you know, how he was out of it. And now he has a young son and he's just trying to buy up as many Hank Aaron's and Willie Mays as he could. Cause his grandfather used to talk to him about those two guys all the time. And we had, you know, a, an hour long conversation and he was real nice young guy. And, um, you know, it was cool. What he was trying to do for his son. Um, but just, and he had said, I, I was, you know, I was in the, you know, with the junk wax era, I was into it and I got, I got out of it and I'm really happy to be getting back into it. Um, Hopefully that that his story is continuing because um, you know, hopefully he didn't buy cards at inflated prices, but with, again, with guys like that, and this is why I say maybe the vintage market isn't crashing. Like some people keep, seem to seem to believe if you're buying Hank Aaron's and Willie Mazes, you're going to be fine. Especially if they're nice ones, you're gonna be fine. It's, it's right. You might think, oh boy, I, I had a friend who bought a, my close friend in, uh, here, Eric in Arizona. He bought a Bob Gibson f- a six and a half, and this was a while ago, like three years ago, and he accidentally bid too much on a pre-war auction, and he bought it for eleven hundred dollars, and it was a six point five, and it was like three hundred dollars more than normal 6.5. And he's like, oh, I messed up. Well, he didn't want to get banned from bidding. So he ended up paying for the card and got it. It looks like an eight. I mean, it's a fantastic Gibby rookie. And and like now he's happy as a clam. <laughs> he's happy as a, he's, he's like, man, that card was, I mean, at the height of the market, that six and a half probably can get you 2,500, maybe even 2,700. Now, you know, it's probably worth whatever. It's It's worth like 50% more than he paid for it. If he wants to sell it, which he's never going to, because he loves the card. Right.
0: Well, let me use some let's get into the meat of this okay. to kind of show people from my perspective what I'm seeing. Like this is real data. This I'm not making any of this stuff up. And I want to preface what I'm about to show cuz I'm going to show a spreadsheet. George and I are going to disappear for a minute as I talk through this. So if you're if you're listening to this on the podcast, I'll do my best to describe what we're looking at. If you're on YouTube, you'll obviously be able to see it. But this isn't meant to be a flex. I'm just showing some cards that I happen to look at that I didn't look at a lot of, I honestly looked at a bunch of higher end stuff, not low end stuff. Not, Cause if you have a card that you bought for 50 bucks and it's worth 30 now, that's not, it's only $20. It's, it's still a large percentage drop, but I didn't, I just kind of looked, I literally started at kind of the top of the value list on my, in my cards. And this is no way meant to be like a flex video. Although some people will take it that way these are just cards I own. So, you know, is what it is. So I got to get the glasses on now to be able to see this. So I'm going to pull up a spreadsheet that I did on again on uh, just some cards that I was, you know, looking at, I'm going to make this full screen so people can see better. And I just pulled up 15 cards, 15 cards that I own. And at the very top is the 51 Bowman Mickey Mantle rookie that, What I did was, I I went and looked at current value, kind of what the recent sales have been. Some of them were incredibly recent, like I did this a few days ago. So I have some of them that were literally the day before or the day of that I did the research. Some of them, not all these cards sell every day in the grades that I have. And therefore, the most recent sale is simply the most recent sale. So I have kind of that current value. I have the peak price. Like if you were just to get lucky and sell at the absolute, like be the highest sale of that card, when was that? What was the value? And then the difference between that peak price and the current value. And I so I did it both in dollars and percentage difference. And you'll see, for example, on the 51 Bowman Mantle, I have a PSA five and it's currently valued at 30, the last one sold for $30,000. and at its peak though, just in March, March 5th, one sold for $55,100. That's a 45% decrease in a PSA five mantle rookie. Uh, now you could argue both ways. Either it was a overvalued at the peak point or B way undervalued now. (laughs) And I'm not, going to try to make a case for either one of those. I'll go through some other cards. Um my 51. Can, can I
1: can I respond to that Mike? Real yeah, quick? of course. Absolutely. Um I think we we talked a little bit about this, but I'm not diminishing the peak value concept because it is it's really interesting to see peak value. Um but we're none of us, yeah, we're not going to sell it at peak value, right? We're unless gonna you get really lucky, unless you get super. Yeah, you get super lucky. Like, oh, I'm I'm gonna sell my house at the housing top of the housing boom or whatever. And for some of us, our if I had a fifty one Bowman mantle, it might be it might be more uh, uh, important to me than my house. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But you know, I, I think too. Another thing about all of these cards that you've shown here, I'm looking at them all right now. Everything that you're showing here, except for the trout and the PSA ten, is incredibly. Set conditions, I appeal centering registration condition sensitive, um, and I think as I, I talked to you about before, the your, your your Mickey Mantle on a five is a super nice five. Um, I think it would be worth more than the current value of thirty thousand dollars because it's a nice five and they're hard to find. And I think you could apply that to anything that's vintage here. Obviously, the Trout rookie in a ten, a 10's a ten practically, right? Sure. Um, but but I just. I, uh, I mean, I think that it's important to note, like whenever you look at sales of stuff, not not you, but I mean, the, the viewers, that, like, if you're looking at comps for the, the Bowman Mantle, or, or for example, here, the Mays and the PSA2, you go down the grading scale here. And that, you know, if you look at PSA2s of, of Mays rookies, the last like 100 that have sold, they're all drastically different. Right. <laughs> You oh, might I find agree. it. Yeah. Right. You, they could be, you have one that could look like a five or a six and you could have one where you're like, I can barely see his face. <laughs> so totally. Agree. And that's just something I wanted to mention, obviously. And you know, I, probably the best
0: thing would have been to average these out or something, but I look, I just, I didn't want I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel here. I was simply yeah just looking at some things and you're totally right about vintage, especially in that mid to lower grades. They're not all created equal. There are vast differences in, within even one grade of I appeal and et cetera of a card. So, and and the values will reflect that by the way, mm-hmm. totally. So I, I agree, but you know, all things being equal, uh, the prices are what they are. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And yet I, I still only have the data that I have. So mm-hmm. uh, the maze rookie that I have a PSA two, uh, Peak price was 10,000, almost 10,500 back in April. It's now 5,200. So it's down half, you know, 49.6%. My Garrig card is only down 13%. But, and I put all these are vintage, except like you mentioned, I do have a Mike Trout on here. Just as a comparison to maybe a modern card, you know, to say what, if, if, Vintage is down this much. What's happening to quote unquote modern stuff, mm-hmm. not necessarily even ultra modern, but the trout rookie hit a peak of in back in February of $8,500. And now it's $3,400. Uh, that's 60% down. Hank Aaron rookies down 48%. Clemente rookie is down 55%. Again, these are in the grades that I have. I didn't look at all Clementes. I didn't look at all Aaron's because a, it would have taken a long time, and and B, those grades don't matter to me. Those prices don't matter to me at all in terms of being interested in it because these are the cards I have. So I'm interested in them uh, and, and just have more kind of skin in the game, literally. Uh, Ernie Banks, not really down that much, about 6%. But the, the 53 Tops, Jackie Robinson, and a PSA 4, down 50%. I know I keep rattling off numbers. The theme here is the the total uh, value, the total value difference in the 15 cards that I looked at that I happen to own cumulatively were down about 45%
1: <clears throat>
0: or some less. Right. And I, I just think it's interesting. You see a, it's relatively consistent. Um, there's some that are a little uh, less in terms of how much they're down but the reality is most of these cards are down 40 to 50% and including Nolan Ryan rookies and, and non-rookies like 64 Mantle, 56 Ted Williams. You know, I, Again, I just looked at some – I wouldn't call them random cards, just kind of some of these higher-end cards that I happen to own that – again, none of these I paid even close to even what the
1: current value
0: is, much less – you know what I mean?
1: Uh, yeah, you're, you're doing okay. Still. Yeah, I, I'm still <laughs> just
0: fine in terms of money in versus if I was having to sell money out. I'm, I'm not going to be in trouble here. But this swift, relatively swift, we're talking two to three months that, that this market has shifted this much. By the way, not uncommon at all for markets in general of anything. For it to be a... If the, the steeper, the ride, think of a rubber band, right? The, the harder you pull it, the more it's going to snap. Right. And that happens in a lots of markets, lots of things, the faster it goes up, the faster it'll come back down. I still don't think cards will end up. I think you're going to have this new level of high, if that makes any sense.
1: Uh, yeah, um, that's, that's what I'm, that's kind of what I've been, um, like at the beginning, when I was talking about how every every uh, March slash February cards go up uh, that I've seen vintage cards, baseball specifically, they go up and then they get a little high and they come back down, but they don't come back down to the pre existing um, existing yeah. February. Right. Um, and and, and I, I you know I can tell you at least in my experience collecting um, Hank Aaron's, Willie mazes and Jackie Robinson's. That yeah, I look back at the prices and I know I'm going to pay a little bit more this spring than last spring or whatever it is. Now this year was it's a big difference. I will tell you that the satchel page, for example, um, and it just, if there's any rebound or whatever, there was a PSA two satchel page that last night pre-war went off a PSA two for eleven hundred dollars. So you know you can figure out the math, but if a PSA two is eleven hundred. PSA five at twenty seven hundred, which is the peak value, isn't out of the question, you know. Right. Um, just kind of looking at these, um,
0: you know. It, uh, any uh, of these stick out to you? Like any of them, just really yeah. jump jump
1: out to you? Are you surprised by any of them? I'll tell you what. I'm surprised. First of all, I've got a couple opinions about this. I'm surprised that thirty three Gaudy and thirty four Gaudy Lou Garrett cards have not gone up more. They have not seen the jump, in my opinion, that, you know, some of the other people have, like Mays, uh, Mantle, uh, Ruth, um, for some reason, um, even though they're beautiful cards. I mean, all of them, 30, both 34s and all the in the 33s. Uh, the, the Bowman Mays rookie, $10,000, um, $10,495 for a PSA 2 is a complete total outlier. That is out of control. <laughs> so... Um, 5,000, a nice one, five to 5,000. I can see that. That makes sense. Um, trout rookies. We know that they went up for some reason. They were at like five grand. And in a couple days they were going for like 7,500, 8,000. And then they came back down really quickly. Um, him not playing probably plays into that a little bit. Um, the Hank Aaron Um, rookie. Let me interrupt you real quick. Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: For the maze, for example, the PSA two I bought at the national in 2019, I paid $1,600. So even if at five, you know what I mean? It's, you could, I would argue that it was undervalued then.
1: Oh, absolutely. It was undervalued. And, and I bought getting, two of
0: them. Yeah, we're getting to more real. You know what I mean? It's, uh, and I agree with you about Ruth and, and Gehrig. I also think DiMaggio stuff hasn't moved as much as I would have thought.
1: Uh, and I, I agree. DiMaggio and, and Gehrig stuff has moved but not as much. And if it has moved significantly, it's it's like Ernie Banks as well, or Frank Robinson, or, or kind of, but Garrigan, Garrigan to manage are inner circle hall of famers. But right. I mean, the higher grade stuff, yes, it's moved up a lot. You know, if you had a Ernie Banks rookie in a 7.5, it's going to go up and it's not going to stay there forever, but it's it's going to stay up longer and it's going to be more consistent. Um, I just, when, when we go down the grading scale, it's very important to have a good eye for what you're buying if you care about it maintaining and sustaining its value um you know you have to be careful if you buy a willie mays and a two you know and i do i have a two as well and i have a 2.5 and i just took me a long time to find the right one um but then while you're waiting for, to find the right lower grade mays rookie they start going up and up and then you start getting fomo and you're just like what do i do um and i think a lot of that has happened and did happen, especially in February and March of this year. Well, I know you have some stories. I know you have some
0: examples of cards from your collection that I I had you do some of your own research on what's maybe happened to some of your key cards. You want to share some of that? Even some stories of cards you bought as recently as February that you were feeling a little FOMO about. I know one particular Lakers center that you were, you know, you bought his rookie card.
1: Well, yeah, and I don't, I don't want to piggyback off of uh, Silver Jackify because Joe did a video today about cards going up and down, and um, one of them he cited was the Lou Alcindor rookie card, and I did a video on it last night. Now, fortunately for me, I get, I got in on the Cinder in, in January, okay, um, so I got a three point five. I don't have it with me right here, but. Um, and I bought it off four sharp corners. There was no tax. You know that's helpful when you're. You know, it was like seventeen hundred bucks, right? Um, and I'm not saying that. I'm just giving numbers. I know. So um, I get it. Yeah. So so that card went up, and th- and I was I was having fear that I was missing out. You know, even though I've been in the hobby for a long time, I had, figured I had to buy it now. And, and it went up, and now it's gone back down. Is it? It's worth still more than I bought it for. Um, Joe had bought a five. And I believe his story was it was a little bit later on in the process. So um, he was saying, you know, with the percentage, it went down. Now, I guess what I'm saying here is that that's also the difference here, too. Um, And I want to make a difference between different sports. Vintage basketball, for example, I do a lot of vintage basketball. Vintage basketball is, in my opinion, it's outstanding. It's criminally undervalued for a long time. But if if the greatest players in basketball can fluctuate, like this all the time this isn't just now Jordan stuff has fluctuated for a long time if Jordan and Kareem LeBron if the greatest players in that sport are fluctuating and their rookie cards are fluctuating that much um, then you have to understand that basketball is a much uh, more scary roller coaster so to speak Um, and we've seen it with the Jordan uh, 86 Fleer rookie and stuff like that but with vintage baseball your numbers, if if you take the numbers that you had given us, and even if you, you know, if I try to minimize them, and I say, okay, well, it's not that bad. It's only gone down 30%, not, right. not 45 or 50. If I say it's gone down 30%, it's still a significant drop. Um, But if if you, but baseball doesn't have this as big of a fluctuation, you know, it, with the Hall of Famers, the, the real, the Roos, the, you know, Garrick's DiMaggio's, Williams. It doesn't fluctuate as much as that. So that's the, that's why I think another reason why people gravitate towards vintage baseball. Um it's nostalgia, it's all that. But stories about cards. Um, I'm sorry, Mike. Please <laughs> no, tell stories. I like it. Well, I mean, like this was one I had was having FOMO on. Um, let's see here. It was a Kofax rookie. Koufax, yes. And I got I got a four, um, and I got ended up getting it for like, I think like a thousand. Or so and it was you know i it was not the kind of four i wanted a nicer more i had centered but i wanted a, a nicer four but i'm like i got to get on the, in on this card and uh am i going to sell it no i'm going to keep it uh i'm in it for the long game anyway i didn't have a Kofax rookie coming into 2020. um you know uh, other cards uh so what's your Kofax? i mean did you do any research on pricing I've been watching them, and they're kind of going well again, it I'm gonna keep going back to this, but it's about the appeal of the card in a right. four. I mean, I found I bought a three and a half three days after I bought this four because the three and a half had nicer centering, and it looked better to me. If I was to sell one of these, I'd sell this one, not the three and a half right and and i you know a lot of people say buy the card not the grade i mean i think maybe the first person i heard say that was eric those back pages right and i said bingo that guy (laughs) that guy knows what he's talking about well the more i watched him the more i realized that he's just a fountain of information (laughs) he's great and he's you know but but i mean that's you know buy the card not the grade it doesn't matter you know um if you think it looks nice um you know it's gonna it's gonna call to you um here's another story um I was out at the Long Beach show a couple of years ago, and when you see a card at a show, and it just calls to you, you're like, "That's the one, right?" And so I know you—you've had these experiences, you know, maybe with a Maze rookie. And so I walked into that show, and I'm like, "Okay, this card was was there."
0: Thirty-nine and, play ball, Dimashia, or Williams.
1: Yeah, Sorry. and I was wanting to get one of this card, probably in a lower grade, like a two or something like that. And then I saw this, and I'm like, "Dude, that is," I was my buddy, and I'm like look at the centering look at that card and he's like yeah it's a four and a half though i'm like i know so i i brought a bunch of cards to trade um and i ended up working a deal with two with one dealer i sold some cards to the dealer had this i ended up trading but what i'm saying is like you know that's again that nostalgia or you you know you just know it when you see it um it didn't have to be a four and a half it could have been a one it, it could have been you know at a certain point you're priced out obviously um I, I'll take cards to shows if I'll take some nicer cards to shows to trade uh, because I think that, you know, if you bring nice stuff, uh, the dealers know it and they're going to give you a higher price. I was getting probably 75% BCP on my trades um, and I figured, well, boy, if I sell it on eBay, I'm only getting 86% anyway and it takes time and I need to get this deal done now because in 15 minutes, some guy's going to walk up and buy it. <laughs> so, you know that's uh um, that's from the show yeah i mean
0: I, I don't know if you saw i bought a 48 leaf ruth uh at the dallas show a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago and you,
1: you and josh
0: me and josh rated rookie yeah. uh, my buddy uh we did that any and point being i was debating between that card and a 53 bowman color mantle both of which about the same price point in terms of like i was looking at i can't remember what grades different grades actually for mantles, but there were tons of them there. Relatively speaking, there were two Babe Ruth's at the entire show. We're talking about probably the second largest sports card show in the country. And there were two of them and it's been a Holy grail card for me for a long time. And I was, the the sad thing is, and I realize this now as I sit here weeks later, a lot of people have buyer's remorse. I had buyer's, Thank God I bought that card because, a I got I think a really good deal for it, um, price wise. It was really speaking to me, and I can get a fifty-three Bowman color Mantle whenever I want. They're they're not they're scarce relative to a Fernando Tatis rookie in a ten, but not scarce in the vintage world. They're not scarce. Uh, certainly Mantle has been something that's appreciated greatly in the in the boom. But that Ruth card was just like, oh golly, I really, really think I should get this. And and after the fact, many guys were telling me, you made the right decision. As I told them the story, you made the right call getting the Ruth. It, mine's a PSA one, I, but I love it. You know, I don't, again, I bought the card, not the grade. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, I, I made a good choice because it spoke to me that way and but the sad thing is i debated it i really i literally slept on it and was trying to decide what i want to do i look back now and go that shouldn't have even been a thought like it should have been a no-brainer uh maybe that was just a moment or whatever but
1: yeah you're, you're absolutely right and i think that um this is kind of the way i've tried to collect uh since i got back into it, I learned more, you know, you learn more. When did you start with the graded cards, Mike? Do you, uh, Do you remember? Yeah, 2010. Okay, yeah. So I, when I first got back to an 05, I was buying off-center stuff. I was buying stuff that had it just didn't look very good or whatever. I was just buying the grade. I was like, "Oh, that's an 8." Right. And it like it's an 8 and it looks like it's miscut, but it's in a regular 8 holder with no qualifiers. And I'm like, right. you know, and I'm anyway. So then I started to learn more about this, and I started to learn about the pop report. And so about two or three years into it, it's a free, you know, the free pop report and everybody knows about this now, but I'm like looking at this thinking, well, how many of these are, are there out there? How many, you know, what kind of cards, like when I was a kid, my grandfather got me this, this yep. Burt Randolph sugar yep, book. I yep. know you're familiar with it, right? It's awesome. Love it. Yes. And you think to yourself, well, how many of certain cards are out there? Well, if I'm going to buy these guys, right. In cards, Yeah. I mean, I've been looking for a branch, a branch Ricky, Cracker Jack forever, a- and I can't find one that's you know I can't f- fit the bill. I mean, right. it's super rare. Now, if I wanted to buy myself a '56 Mantle, um, that would be great, and I'd pay probably the same amount of money. Um, and I could find one. I can. How many can we find on eBay right now? I mean, and I understand that there's you know there, if there's a seven and a half or an eight and a half, it's an amazing card. Uh, I can't even find a branch Ricky. That's not beat to hell over the last five years. So, you know, you just kind of, that's the collector. I guess you, I'm looking for rarer stuff and you know, you can come back later and get that 53 Bowman mantle that you were talking about, which is a fantastic, it's w- wonderful card. Um, but that Babe Ruth, I mean, there are, pro- I think there's probably a, a thousand maybe total by PSA, a thousand Ruths graded total. Right. Uh, there's not that much. And I guess to my point, you know, like, for example, um, this is a nice 73 Clemente, and it's in an eight, and that's great. Um, it's not super rare. There's a lot of eights. Matter of fact, there might be like 1,000 eights. Um, and then, you know, this card, there's, uh. there's a 1,000 total of these. I mean, right. I'm not counting SGC, but I mean, you know, if, if but you have a he's, chance he's to showing,
0: get a uh, satchel page, rookie 49 Bowman, just, you have to remember people are going to be listening to this on a podcast. So you have to
1: be more discreet. Yeah. Okay. If I, <laughs> 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 I guess, yeah. So, I mean, if I'm going to get a satch, uh, a satch Bowman rookie, um you know, it's, it's just more rare and, uh and I can, you can, you can't find them. You can't, I mean, can't find them centered. The lower the grade, the more difficult it is um and again I can't,
0: I can't see the grade on that card put it back up i want to oh it's a point. three well I, but that's, i would look at that card and say that's much nicer than a three because when it, when you hold it at arm's length and it and it blurs out the the flip you just look at the card and you go man that's a gorgeous sat rookie yeah and i would good. have said that's a five or something and you tell me it's a three i'm like wow um okay i'd take that out every day of the week
1: well, so I'm, I, thank you. Um, I, I just I think that you know this is this is part of uh, this is part of the values and how the the values are calculated, um, and specifically just to go back to the maze uh, rookie. You know, I was looking for one as well, and and I happen to come across two of them in like two months from each other. But it's like I was looking at them in twos, like you bought yours, and I looked at like a hundred on the. P, on the pre, uh, PSA site and I pulled up all the pictures of these twos and they were all right. drastically different. Um, you know, if, if you look at the, if you look at the eights, there may only be 10 sold, but they're all pretty good. Right. <laughs> so if you want to get into that game, you have to take time to, to look and, and get the right one. I think.
0: For sure. Uh, by the way, the, that page card that you just showed the 49 Bowman has been, let's just say I'm being encouraged by one of the people I really respect in this hobby. Dave blue jacket, 66 to buy that card at the national to be that, that he wants that to be my, cause at the national, I try to buy a big boy card, you know, uh, kind of one of those grail cards just to say, like, I can tell you all my big cards where I bought them and with, mm-hmm. who I was with and the experience that I had buying it. Cause that's part of enjoying the card, you know, Oh, I bought it on eBay. Okay. <laughs> right. That, that doesn't seem to have nearly as much, you know, uh, memory slash meaning as mm. my Hank Aaron rookie that I bought in a three with Eric, those back pages, your good friend and mine walking around the national and looking at probably 80 to a hundred of them in multi- various grades and and finding that one and going, that's the best looking three I've ever
1: seen. You yeah, know, there and, you go. I mean, that's, you know, you, you gotta look like, I don't ha- I don't have a Clemente rookie um, I should have bought one last May. I had a chance to. I passed. I mean, literally, it was like fifty bucks apart, and I was trying to. I made a mistake, but anyway. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> I just to, um, hey, meet. my dad. My dad's an immigrant. You know, they say he still has money from his baptism left. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Seriously though, I, I I should have bought it, but I was. I'm like, ah, another one will come up because there's so many of them, um, but they there's, they're hard to find. Fifty five that's it, centered or looks nice, has good color, isn't faded out, isn't creased, whatever. It's hard to find. And, you know, unless you're going to buy a six or something, which is a, is a lot as is a, is a big, uh, is a big bill. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We're like, I think we're like poker
0: players where, you know, if you have that collector mindset, because poker players, always, they can't tell you the big hands they won, but they can tell you the bad beats all day long. That's a, that's a quote from rounders mm-hmm. in the movie. And, it's true. But, and I will tell you, like, I, the whole thing with the 53 3 Bowman mantle for me too just keeps coming back because in 2014, I was at the baseball card exchange booth at the National and I could have bought one, a PSA 5 for 150 bucks. And I was like, ah, uh, nah, I'll buy something else, you know. And I, I remember, I could literally walk to where that card, I could walk to this, to the Cleveland center, I could show you where their booth was, and I could walk to where that card was and show you where it was. And I passed on it. And I remember that, like, it, I could, again, I can tell you all the details. I can't tell you a lot of details on hundreds of other cards that I bought over the years, but I can remember the ones that they got away. You know, yeah, this
1: is this is like old fisherman drinking stories, (laughs) the one that got away. It's like I imagine at the national, everybody'd be sitting there and like you're drinking and hanging out, and it's like, oh, I could have got this Jackie Robinson leaf rookie. Oh, I could have got this 33 Caddy Ruth. And it's like you think about all those things that you you missed out on and and don't really reflect so much on the fact that you've made a lot of uh hopefully good investments i know you have uh, in the cards and, and over the years i mean i think it's just a with vintage it's just a long game and i got when i got back into it i started thinking uh i'm gonna i'm gonna get cards graded i'm gonna buy boxes of old cards i can get a, a 1979 nolan ryan and a psa 10 that's easy and then i and i bought a couple boxes 79 tops and i submitted a bunch of cards and i got 110 out of like 200 cards because i didn't know what i was doing Right. And uh, and then I started thinking well I'll just buy, you know, mantles or, or or which I couldn't really afford or Robinsons or and start flipping them. Yeah, you're not going to make money doing that either. It's it's a long game. And so, you know, you're you're maze go ahead. No, you finish I, finish your thought and then I'll ask my
0: I want to kind of tie the bow on this a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, I no, I was just it's 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 a it's and I just want to talk about this because I just didn't with it being a long game, um, I kind of wrote some some stuff down about kind of like the vintage collector, you know. And, and I'm not, and I'm not even saying the. I know we've been talking a lot about PSA graded cards, and I don't want to w- leave the raw the collectors of raw cards out. You know, there's a, a lot of people like Ticket Leprechaun Jake and a lot of other you know people that in our community that collect raw vintage cards, and they care less about grading. But um, and I, I think that you know. That just the, the vintage collectors just different. The vintage collector mindset, they're typically a little bit older, or like Jake, maybe they're younger but wiser. And right. they they are just, you know, they understand it's a long game. They understand that they're collecting um history, they're collecting memories, they they have an affinity for a certain card. Remember who you know, maybe they saw it in the sand lot, the 1962 Tops card they saw in the sandlot, Whatever it is, you know, you just so I mean whether it's whether it's graded cards you know it's like you get your graded cards and that's great but i have a raw brooks robinson um this is an eight 64 brooks robinson and an eight and that's great i have a raw one that's on my wall that i got when i was 10 and it means more to me than this PSA um so you know i just think that there's a lot there's a attitude about collecting vintage and i think that's why you know we're all kind of like not we're all not certainly not all the same but we all have some kind of love, passion for the past. We appreciate it. We think about it. We let it kind of marinate, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that's common among uh, most vintage collectors. Yeah. There's a raw, lot of raw or graded. Or,
0: a lot of common threads among vintage collectors in the way we think, and which is very, very cool. So, given what I've shown, the evidence that, you know, that I've presented in terms of, just some values of cards that I own and what they've done just over the last few months in terms of the crash. Is there a crash? Isn't there a crash? Make up your own mind on what you think. I I think there is, I don't, and I I don't think that's a bad thing. What do you think as, as a vintage collector, what does the future hold in your mind in the vintage market?
1: Well, the first thing we, we have to understand, like Will Rogers said about land, is they're not making any more of these vintage <laughs> cards, right? So, I mean, like, you know, when, when you go out and you go to the National and you find the right 49 Bowman Satchel page, you're going to be happy as a clam that you got it because there aren't many of them out there. Um I think that vintage will is strong. It will be strong. I mean, again, I'm watching auctions last night on, and I know it's pre-war and for whatever, I don't buy too many pre-war cards. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the prices, the, the values are strong in, in, in a lot of these high end hall of famers. Still, I watched a Ted Williams rookie in a PSA six, four nine play ball go for and a PSA six, one for $10,500 That's strong money. Um, now, to, to, if you long for the fact that you want it to be like last February, then you're gonna have to hold on to your cards and wait till next February. Because <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> kind of go, it's going down a little bit, you know, um, and, and it's gone, you know, I, I'm, I'm buying into the fact that it's gone down, but I'm not buying into the fact that it's 50% down on, on nice examples of Mickey Mantle rookie cards. Um, and I think if you were to try to sell yours, um, I'm, I'm sure that you would get more than what you say it's worth now because it's a nice one. So I, I would just going to keep, I have altered my collecting to some degree. Uh, I'm focusing on a few different players. Um, but you know, I think that if you stay with it, I, I think you, you can't go wrong uh, in the long term. So um, if, if we talk a year from now and you're what, what's your Hank Aaron rookie in a three. Yeah. If that three is, is it $500 then we'll, have to do another podcast because right. it has been a complete crash, <laughs> right? Uh, but, but that's, if the Hank Aaron rookie and a P is it a PSA three, is it $500? We've got bigger economic problems. Good point.
0: And I look at it again as a collector. Great. Great. I get, it's like, everything's on sale and they, you know, they rang the bell. Everything's on sale. What I just hope is say the national that's coming up in about six weeks. Will the dealers get the message that everything's on sale. Well, they know that everything's on sale and the prices reflect that in the showcases. Time will tell. I can't answer that question yet. I'll be able to answer it in about six and a half weeks when I can tell you what I'm seeing there. I, I sure hope that if prices continue to come down again, that to me just screams buying opportunity. It doesn't, I don't go, Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. I've got to get out and and fire sale dump my cards. I'm looking at it as great. Just more stuff I can buy for the same amount of money. Yay me, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I think I've most never collectors would it. look at it that way too. No, I just think most collectors would would view
1: what's going on
0: right now in the same vein.
1: Yeah, I'm not stopping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's, it's not like, I mean, I'm a, i am I work for the government, I'm a public employee. Okay. So I don't have a ton of, you know, disposable income, but I try to buy what I can buy. And, and I just going to keep, you know, I mean, I, I, again, you find nice cards that are, and I don't care about, I mean, I prefer to be a PSA it could be SGC. I was just showing you a card I bought last night and you were showing me a card. Um, you yeah. Know, you, you bought a Campanella and I bought Adobe and uh, you know, it's, it's not going to deter us if the card is nice. And again, I, you know it when you see it, you know, you'll know it when you see it, whatever you're looking for. I'm not going to the national. I wish I was, but I live in Phoenix. So I'm kind of far away. And I'm just going to sit out here and roast in the heat. But, (laughs) but I really believe like when you see it, whatever you're looking for, you'll know it at the national. And I hope is, my hope is that these dealers are not going to use the words. Well, I'm into it for right. Um, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I think you're going to hear a lot of this. They're going to talk about the boom and how they didn't have any inventory and they sold it all off, which means they made a bunch of money. And right. then they have been having to replenish their inventory, and so they have to buy at higher prices. And I'm in it for this much. Um, I just, you know, but but we know. I mean, you, you look at your phones. You go to shows now. Everybody's looking at VCP or whatever PSA site on their phone. There's and you know, as long as you can show their real sales. I think the dealers got to listen uh, unless they want to, you know, move their inventory and these opportunity costs. I mean, you're not at the national to not sell cards. Right. Are you? I mean, you're not at the national having a booth because you're like, Hey, look at my collection. You know, right. you, you want to, they want to sell it. I mean, you have, but sometimes you have to talk these people into it and you have to be aggressive with them. I know you, you bought yourself a nice campy rookie, um, at the Dallas show, right? I did. And you had some, Help uh, from people that you know, and yeah, you know, I helped a friend of mine buy a 60 Hank Aaron at a show in a seven, and I had to show my 60 Hank to the dealer saying, Mine's nicer than yours, and I paid this much and it's lower, so you need to lower your price. So I mean, like, they're there to sell cards and they, they need to remember that. So, there's yeah, the, my psychology. The, that. Uh,
0: no, it's totally true, and I, I hear it all the time. Well, I'm into it for this, and my immediate internal response—I never vocalize this as much as I would love to, but it'd just be kind of a dick move. But like, that's not my problem. Like that you're into it that much—that's not my fault. I'll say. (laughs) There's always like, you know, again, they're trying to sell it for as much as they can. I'm trying to buy it for as cheap as I can. Hopefully, there's somewhere in the middle that that makes sense for both of us. Uh, But. I'm not gonna overpay, I'll walk down this. Again, none of these are one of ones, right? They may be rare, but at the same time, they're not the only ones out there. And I'm and you have to be patient. If I tell any vintage collector, be patient.
1: I think know? that's true, unless you're, like a couple years ago, I remember a video, a great video, and you were at the show with uh, Nuff Said Cards, right? Yep. And the very first day, he bought a Cracker Jack Trist speaker. He did. One of the great images, iconic images in baseball, um, history. It's a fantastic card. Yes. I wish I had one. And, uh, it's just, he said, I, he said, I, you know, I, I planned to like hold off, but I saw this card and I had to have it that kind of card. You, you're going to find like two a show if you're lucky. So yeah, I mean, if you find, if you, 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 have to know what you're looking for and know how rare it is. You know, if I, if I'm looking for an 83 Donruss, Tony Gwynn and a 10 and I love Tony Gwynn. Oh man, I love Tony Gwynn, but boy, these cards aren't rare and i can you know so i mean but if if you're looking for something that's a lot more rare um like this this is a blue tint jackie robinson 1949 um low pop card uh strip card you know you're that's what i'm saying you have to understand i know i know you understand this but you know understand what you're looking for develop your strategy get your boys together get in there and get what you need
0: your your collection's insane, by the way, George, just so you know.
1: Well, yours is too, Mike. I mean, I, I'm not going to show us yours. I actually don't have a spreadsheet. <laughs> this sounds messed up, but I just don't have a spreadsheet because I'm like, it's disorganized. It's organized chaos, I guess. Well, tell everybody, you know, before
0: I let you go, how they can find you, in social media world. Uh,
1: tell them where they can find Diamond Yard Sports Cards um well i'm only on youtube at uh diamond yard sports cards and uh i've been on for about four years and uh enjoying it having a lot of fun meeting a lot of great people um throughout the country um i just talked to Don, Don's field of dreams cards today and uh, uh chuck northside guy uh just a great group of guys and i you know can't say enough about the community wish i could go to the national hopefully that will happen uh next year um but uh I saw Jake ticket Leprechaun recently. He's it came out here to Arizona to go to the Diamondbacks game, even though they're the worst team in baseball. But <laughs> the Rangers are giving them a run for their money. Don't worry. Yeah, the pi- uh, Don Don said the Pirates are too. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I'm, I can be uh, emailed at uh, azdiamondyard at gmail.com. I'm you know love to interact with anybody in the community. Um, you know I haven't really done much trading with people, but I'm open to that but I just love to hear your thoughts and I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And I, uh, have had a real good time, Mike, so I appreciate it. Yeah. An hour goes really quick when you start just getting into the stuff,
0: doesn't it? I mean,
1: yeah, I, I
0: mean,
1: yeah, this has been great. So yeah, we could just wrap for a long time and And uh, we
0: will believe me once I hit stop record, (laughs) we're probably going to talk for a little while longer, (laughs) but, uh, for everybody out there that's listening, watching again, thanks so much for being a part of the show. Uh, just, you know, go out there, leave a comment on the YouTube video, we'd love to hear from you. George will be watching the comments too and responding if you have a comment for George. And I'll put a link in the YouTube video down to his channel, as well as if you're on a podcast, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, go give us a review. Go give Golden Age of Cardboard a review that just helps other people that might be looking for sports card content find it in the podcast world. And so that's it.
1: And I just want to say, guys, and I know everybody knows this, but all the um, all the positivity that you get and you get out of the community, pay it forward to fellow collectors.
0: Amen to that. It's a great thing to end on. Thanks, George, again, for being here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mike.
1: Appreciate it. Have a good
0: one. And no matter what prices are doing, keep collecting.